Part two, chapter seven of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sinkevich, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part two, chapter seven. No reply came to this letter. Petronius did not write, evidently expecting that Nero at any moment might command a return to Rome. In fact, the rumor of a contemplated return spread throughout the metropolis, awakening a lively joy in the hearts of the mob, eager for games and the distribution of corn and olive oil, great stores of which had accumulated in Ostia. Helius, Nero's freedman, finally announced the return to the Senate. But Nero, having embarked with his court at the promontory of Mycenaeum, returned slowly, landing at every city along the coasts to rest or to exhibit himself in the theatres. In Minturni, where he sang in public, he spent over ten days. He even thought of returning to Naples, there to enjoy the spring which had come earlier and warmer than usual. During all this time Vinitius remained shut up in his home, thinking of Lygia, and of all the new things which had entered his soul, and brought into it hitherto unknown sensations and ideas. Glaucus called upon him from time to time. His visits filled Vinitius with inward joy, for he could speak with the physician of Lygia. Glaucus, it is true, knew not her hiding-place, but he assured Vinitius that the elders surrounded her with protecting care once moved by the melancholy of the young patrician he told how the apostle peter had rebuked crispus for reproaching lygia with her earthly love vinitius hearing this paled with emotion more than once it had seemed to him that lygia was not indifferent to him but quite as often he fell into doubt and uncertainty now for the first time he heard from strange lips from the lips of a christian the confirmation of his hopes in the first moment of gratitude he would have run to peter learning however that he was not in the city but was preaching in the country he implored glaucus to bring him back promising to make liberal donations to the poor of the community it seemed to him also that if lygia loved all obstacles were removed as he was ready at any moment to do homage to christ but though glaucus strongly urged him to receive baptism he would not assure him that thereby he would win lygia at once and told him that he must desire baptism for its own sake and for the sake of christ and not for alien objects one needs also a christian soul he said and Vinitius, though he grew wroth at every obstacle, had now begun to understand that Glaucus as a Christian said only what he ought to say. He did not yet fully realize that one of the most radical changes in his own nature was that previously he had measured men and things only through his own egoism. Nevertheless, he was now gradually accustoming himself to the thought that the eyes of others might see differently, that the hearts of others might feel differently, that personal rights did not always mean personal gain. The wish often seized him to see Paul of Tarsus, whose words interested and moved him. He conjured up arguments against his creed, he strove against him in thought, nevertheless he would fain see him. But Paul had gone to Arisium. As the visits of Glaucus grew rarer, Vinitius found himself in utter solitude. Again he began to traverse the alleys near Sabora and the narrow streets of the Trans-Tiber, in the hope of catching even a far-off glimpse of Lygia. When this hope was disappointed, weariness and impatience overpowered him. 
at length the time came when his old nature reasserted itself it was like the onslaught of a wave at high tide on the shore whence it had retired he said to himself that he had made a fool of himself to no purpose that he had filled his mind with things which brought only sorrow in their train that he ought to make life yield him all it could he resolved to forget lygia or at least to seek joy and delight from all other sources he felt that this trial was the last so he threw himself into the turmoil of life with all the blind passion of his peculiar nature life itself seemed to invite him rome half dead and deserted during the winter months had begun to revive with the hope of caesar's speedy return preparations were going on for his solemn reception spring had come the snows on the crests of the alban hills had melted away under the breath of african winds violets covered the lawns in the gardens the forum and the field of mars swarmed with people basking in the growing heat of the sun on the appian way the drive outside the city a stream of chariots richly caparisoned and adorned passed to and fro the usual excursions to the alban hills had begun young women under pretext of worshipping juno in lanuvium or diana in Arisium, stole away from home in search of new impressions of society reunions and of pleasures without the city walls here one day vinitius among the splendid chariots that crowded the way caught sight of one more magnificent than all the car of chrysothemis petronius's mistress two molossian dogs preceded it a crowd of young men and aged senators detained by their duties in the city surrounded it chrysothemis driving four corsican ponies scattered smiles around her and gaily flecked her golden whip perceiving vinitius she reined up her steeds and made him mount beside her she drove him to a banquet which lasted all night vinitius drank so deeply that he knew nothing when he was borne home but he could remember that when chrysothemis mentioned the name of lygia he was indignant and in his drunken wrath emptied a vessel of falernian wine upon her head recalling this in his sober state his anger returned next day chrysothemis evidently forgetting the insult called at his house and once more drove him along the appian way she supped with him that night and confessed that she had wearied not only of petronius but of his lyrist and that her heart was now free all that week they appeared together but the connection did not seem likely to last after the incident of the falernian wine lygia's name was never recalled nevertheless vinitius could not banish the thought of her he still retained the feeling that her eyes were ever gazing upon him and that feeling made his heart sink discontented with himself he could not free himself from the consciousness that he was paining lygia nor from the remorse with which this consciousness afflicted him after the first scene of jealousy raised by chrysothemis on account of two syrian girls whom he had bought he rudely dismissed her not yet it is true did he cease to wallow in pleasures and debaucheries but now he seemed to be urged on by a desire to spite lygia at last he discerned that the thought of lygia never left him for a moment that she was the motive at once of his bad actions and his good that he cared for nothing in the world save only for her then weariness and disgust overcame him pleasure became abhorrent to him and left only remorse behind it he knew he was wretched but this last emotion filled him with immeasurable wonderment once he had accepted as good everything that gratified his senses 
in the end he fell into an utter apathy from which even the news of nero's approach could not arouse him nothing interested him he did not even call on petronius until the latter sent him an invitation and his own letter though he was joyfully greeted he responded unwillingly to all interrogations but at last his long repressed thoughts and emotions burst their bounds and rushed from his lips in an abundant torrent of words once more he told in full detail the story of his search for lygia of his stay with the christians of all that he had seen and heard among them and of all that had passed through his head and his heart and then he complained that he had plunged into a chaos of mind where all peace had abandoned him together with all faculty of judgment and discernment nothing attracted him everything had lost its savour he knew not what to think nor how to act he was ready both to honour christ and to persecute him he recognised the sublimity of his creed yet at the same time he felt towards it an overpowering aversion he recognized that even if he possessed lygia he would not possess her entirely for he must share her with christ in short in the midst of life he had no real life he had neither hope nor morrow nor belief in happiness he was encompassed by darkness and was groping for an exit which he could not find petronius during all this narration gazed at his changed face at his hands which he outstretched with a strange gesture as if he were really groping his way and pondered deeply then rising he approached vinitius and ran his fingers through the hair above his ears knowest thou he asked that there are several gray hairs on thy temple that may well be was the reply i should not wonder if they should soon all grow white a hush fell upon them petronius was a man of thought more than once had he pondered on life and the human soul in a general way life in the world wherein they both lived could be outwardly happy or unhappy but inwardly its usual want was calm just as lightning or earthquake might overthrow a temple so unhappiness could destroy life in itself however it consisted of simple and harmonious lines free from all entanglements but something altogether different was hinted at by the words of vinitius for the first time petronius stood face to face with a complication of spiritual snarls which no one heretofore had unravelled he was wise enough to value but with all his cleverness he could not answer his nephew's questions after a long pause he spoke this may be mere sorcery so i have thought more than once has it seemed to me that both of us were under a spell suppose thou wert to go to the priests of serapis doubtless among them there are many tricksters nevertheless there may be others who possess strange secrets he spoke however without faith and in a halting voice he felt how hollow and even ridiculous these words must sound on his lips vinitius rubbed his forehead sorceries he cried i have seen sorcerers who wrested unknown and subterranean forces to their own ends i have seen sorcerers who used these forces to the injury of their foes but christians dwell in poverty forgive their enemies proclaim humility virtue and charity what could they gain from sorceries why should they cast spells petronius was piqued that all his wit could find no adequate reply unwilling to confess this however he jumped at the first thought that offered tis a new sect he said 
after a pause he added by the divine dwellers in paphian groves how all this would ruin life thou admirest the purity and the mildness of those people but i tell thee that they are evil for they are enemies of life even like diseases or death itself we already have our fill of these enemies we need no addition from the christians count them up diseases caesar tigellinus caesar's poems cobblers who rule over the descendants of the old quinites freedmen who sit in the senate by castor tis enough tis a pernicious and disgusting sect hast thou made any effort to cast off this melancholy and take some small enjoyment out of life i have tried petronius laughed traitor he cried gossip flies quickly among slaves thou hast stolen chrysothemis away from me vinitius waved his hand in disgust all the same i thank thee said petronius i will send her a pair of slippers embroidered with pearls in my love language it means walk off i owe thee a double gratitude first that thou didst not steal eunice secondly that thou didst free me from chrysothemis hearken thou seest before thee a man who rose early bathed banqueted possessed chrysothemis wrote satires and even sometimes interwove poetry with prose but who was as frightfully bored as caesar himself and often knew not how to chase away the gloomiest thoughts knowest thou why this was so merely because i was seeking afar what was right close to me a beautiful woman is always worth her weight in gold but if such a woman loves she is above all price the treasures of varies could not purchase her so now i set myself this rule of action i shall fill my life with happiness as a cup with the finest wine produced on earth and drink till my hand withers and my lips pale what may happen after i care not this is my newest philosophy tis the same thou hast always professed there is nothing new in it it has substance something previously lacking he called for eunice who entered clad in white drapery golden-haired a slave no longer but a goddess of love and joy he opened his arms come he cried she ran up to him she leaped on his knee she put her arms around his neck and nestled her head upon his breast vinitius watched her cheeks grow crimson and her eyes melt slowly in mist they formed a marvellous group of love and happiness petronius reached his hand to a shallow vase standing on the nearby table and taking a handful of violets sprinkled them on the head the breast and the robe of eunice he snatched the tunic from her shoulders and said happy is he who like me has found love enclosed in so lovely a form at times i deem we are two gods look at her thyself hath praxiteles or miron or scopus or lysias himself carved more marvellous lines is there in paros or pentilius marble like this warm rosy pulsating with love they are men who kiss the edges of vases but i prefer to seek delight where it can be truly found and he passed his lips over her shoulders and her neck she trembled visibly her eyes closed and then opened with an expression of ineffable joy petronius lifted his noble head and addressed vinitius think now what are thy gloomy christians compared with this if thou canst not see the difference go to them but this sight will cure thee 
vinitius distended his nostrils which were invaded by the perfume of violets that pervaded the room his face paled oh if he could only press his lips on the shoulders of lygia it would be a sacrilegious delight so great that the world might then pass away and he would care not but accustomed now to a ready analysis of his own emotions he noticed that even at that moment he thought of lygia and her only eunice thou divine one cried petronius order the garlands for our heads and a good breakfast when she had left he turned to vinitius i would have set her free but what was her answer i would rather be thy slave than caesar's wife she refused to accept her liberty i freed her without her knowledge the praetor did this for me without insisting on her presence but she knows this not nor does she know that this home with all my jewels save only the gems will belong to her if i die he rose and took a few steps up and down the room love he resumed changes some more and others less but it has greatly changed me once i loved the odor of verbenas but eunice prefers violets hence i love them above all other flowers and since spring arrived we have breathed nothing but violets he stopped in front of vinitius and thou he asked dost thou still remain true to the perfume of nard give me peace implored the young man i wished thou to look on eunice i thought of her only because thou too perchance art seeking afar that which is near at hand perchance for thee too in the dormitories of thy slaves may throb some such loyal and simple heart put this balsam upon thy wounds lygia thou sayest loves thee granted she does but what sort of love is that which can be renounced dost not the very renouncement mean that there is something more powerful no my beloved lygia is not eunice tis all but one long torment i saw thee kissing the shoulders of eunice and the thought came to me that if lygia would bare her shoulders to me the ground might open next minute under our feet and i would not care but an awful fear seized me at the very thought as though i had assaulted a vestal virgin or debauched a goddess true lygia is not eunice but i see the difference in another way than thou love has changed thy nostrils as to make thee prefer violets to verbenas in me the change is in my soul despite my fears and my desires so that i prefer lygia to such as she is rather than to resemble others petronius shrugged his shoulders if that be so no wrong has been done thee but i fail to understand alas too true we can understand each other no longer there was silence once more then petronius resumed violently may hades engulf thy christians they have filled thee with unrest they have destroyed thy hold upon life to hades with them thou art mistaken in thinking their creed is good for good is that only which gives man happiness and happiness consists in beauty love power these things they call vanity thou art mistaken in thinking they are just for if we must return good for evil what shall we return for good and if the same return be made for good and evil why shall man be good no the return is not the same according to their creed it begins in a future life which is eternal the future life does not interest me for we have yet to find whether we can see without eyes in this life the christians are mere weaklings 
ursus strangled croto because he has limbs of iron but these are imbeciles and the future cannot belong to imbeciles i told you that for them life begins with death that is as if one were to say day begins with night dost thou propose to carry off the girl no i cannot return evil for her good moreover i have sworn not to do so dost thou contemplate accepting the religion of christ i wish to do so but my nature revolts canst thou forget lygia no then travel breakfast was now announced by the slaves petronius who thought he had hit upon a good idea said on the way to the dining-room thou hast travelled over a large part of the world but only as a soldier hurrying to his destination who does not stop on the way go with us to achaea caesar has not given up the idea he will stop along the way will sing receive garlands despoil temples and in the end will return in triumph to italy twill be like a procession of bacchus and apollo in one person augustales and their consorts and thousands of liars by castor twill be well worth seeing for nothing like it has ever existed in the world he stretched himself beside eunice on a couch before the table a slave placed a garland of anemones upon his head what didst thou see in the service of corbulo he resumed nothing didst thou visit the grecian temple as i did i who for two years passed from guide to guide didst thou visit rhodes to view the site of the colossus didst thou see in panopeus in phosis the clay from which prometheus moulded man in sparta the eggs which leda laid or in athens the famed sarmatian armor made of horses hoofs or in euboea agamemnon's ship or the goblet which was modelled over the left breast of helena didst thou see alexandria memphis the pyramids the hair of isis which she tore out of her head in bewailing osiris didst thou hear the moaning music of memnon the world is wide all does not end at the trans tiber i shall accompany caesar on his return i shall leave him and go to cyprus for my little golden-haired goddess desires that we should together offer up doves to venus for know that what she wishes must be done i am thy slave whispered eunice he leaned his wreathed head upon her bosom and smiled if so i am the slave of a slave he said from thy feet to thy head o my divinity i love thee turning to vinitius he said go with us to cyprus remember that thou must first call on caesar tis a pity that thou hast not yet seen him tigellinus is only too ready to use this to thy harm though he has no personal hatred to thee still as my sister's son he cannot love thee we will explain that thou wert unwell we must think over what reply thou shalt give if nero asks about lygia it might be best for thee to make a gesture with thy hands and say that she was with thee until she wearied thee this he will understand and that sickness detained thee at home that thy fever was increased by sorrow that thou couldst not be present in naples to hear his singing that thy health was only restored by the hope of now at last hearing him fear no lie no exaggeration tigellinus swears that he will think of something stupendous to say to caesar i fear he may undermine me i have some fears even of thee knowest thou said vinitius that there are men who do not fear caesar and who live as calmly as if he were not in the same world i know whom thou meanest the christians 
yes they are the only ones but as to us what is our life save a constant fear a truce to the christians they fear not caesar because it is possible he has never heard of them at all events he knows nothing of their creed and they interest him no more than withered leaves but i tell thee they are imbeciles thou feelest this thyself if thy nature revolts at their creed tis because thou feelest their imbecility thou art a man of different clay therefore a truce to them we can live and die what more they can do no one knows these words struck vinitius on his return home he wondered whether after all it might not be true that the charity and purity of the christians was but a sign of their imbecility surely men of virility and character could not forgive in this way was not this the real secret of the aversion which his roman soul felt towards this creed we can live and die said petronius as to them they knew forgiveness only they knew neither true love nor true hatred end of part two chapter seven